Hello, and welcome to a very special weekend edition of Cyberdeck Users Weekly, a bi-weekly show about technology and decentralization. My name is Paul, I will be your host for this uh, afternoon, evening. Uh, I, I'm just gonna, I just want to be a little up front. I'm feeling like really morose about how many people are out of work. And especially, seems like the, the, the more likely, the more, I don't know. I think the numbers are something like, like some, like 40% of people, I don't even know the numbers, 40% of people uh, make less than $40,000 a year. I'm bad with numbers. Something like that are out of work in America. And it's, so it just, I don't know, that's been like, it's on my mind for the past few days and it's kind of getting me down. Um, and so <laughs> I, just, I just want to put that out there that that's what I'm stressing about and thinking about a lot. Um, but I'm going to talk about video games today and not about unemployment. Uh, so the, there was this uh, Unreal 5 demo on YouTube. I'm guessing you've seen it. It's bonkers. It's uh, truly next gen. You know, I was saying on the last episode of the Vergecast I was on that we're probably going to see a wave of games that are um, next gen in the sense that they might, you know, use some more effects. Basically, they might add some ray tracing. Um, they might do some more crazy shaders for like smoke and fog and wind and rain and that kind of stuff. Uh, but when it comes to actually the detail of objects and textures, that's probably going to be a little further down the road because games that really take advantage of what the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X can do. Uh, is that what it's called? Man, I'm so out of it. Um, the next Xbox and the next PlayStation, what they can do, those games aren't really going to even boot on uh, older hardware, um, especially if you don't have a like an NVMe level SSD or better, which is what both Microsoft and Sony are claiming to have in their consoles. Um, so, but that said, this Unreal 5 demo is very next gen as opposed to all those xbox demos which looked great and had some each demo had maybe one visual flair some of them had looked very current gen um but this unreal 5 demo looks just absolutely next gen uh the bi two biggest things so they they have uh their, their cool branding you know epic uh, obviously is the company that makes fortnite uh, they've been making Unreal Engine for a long time, but they really haven't had a hit since like the, um, I guess the Gears of War series is epic. Is that right? Oh, right. Okay. That's why I was confused. Epic sold Gears of War to Microsoft, but, uh, you know they've ha they've been just 
plug it away. They tried to like make a pivot. They tried to make a League of Legends style game. They tried to do these mobile games, which were really interesting and graphically um, interesting. Um, and then, you know, their engine actually powers a lot of games. So that's, um, but they haven't had a, a mega blockbuster and Fortnite is the blockbuster to end all blockbusters. And so they've definitely, you know, reinvested in their engine uh, with all this new Fortnite cash and they're doing some really cool stuff. So their buzzwords for this uh, PlayStation 5, Unreal 5 demo are Nanite and Lumen. So Nanite is this idea that you can take an artist asset like, like when a, you know, a 3D artist creates a model, they typically create the highly detailed version of that and then they paint that. And then that's converted into, I don't know if you can hear these church bells in the background, that's very loud. They convert that into a game asset, sometimes multiple game assets at different levels of detail. So they'll be like the version, the up close version and then like the little, the middle distance version and the far away version. Um, because uh, game console and PC hard drives are only so fast to be able to load assets uh, into memory. Um, and then memory is only so large as far as what it can handle at a time. I can't believe how long these church bells are going for. Um, so, um, and then, you know, the GPU, there's bottlenecks all over that led to this sort of optimization of these levels of detail. Uh, but obviously the most, the easiest thing to do for a game developer and the most high fidelity thing would be to import that actual asset. That's the asset that you'd use if you're making, like if you're Pixar and you're making a film, you would import the ultra high quality asset and just wait, wait for the render to go through. Uh, cause you got all the time in the world, um, for rendering, you know, in a real time game engine, you don't have all the time in the world, but. Epic has this technology, Nanite, that can take that high density mesh and then the, uh, model and then only show as many triangles of it as are necessary. And I think the real key, well, at least for me, uh, I don't understand this technology fully, this idea that in the demo that they showed, it's kind of like a Tomb Raider style game, that the tr and they're in a cave and they pause it and they show all the triangles and that there's about a triangle per pixel. So like, doesn't matter how dense the mesh is, you don't need to have multiple triangles. Um, you don't need multiple vertices of that mesh to represent a single pixel because the pixel is the smallest thing you can see. So, so they, they seem to be scaling it in such a way that and and in a dynamic way that doesn't seem to involve um, you know a lot of work on the part of the developer, the actual game developer or the artist. They're scaling um, as you get closer. You're basically seeing more mesh, uh, more triangles of a mesh until you see you know the actual maximum detail of that mesh. Uh, so they're talking like billions of triangles. Uh, and it seems like it all just works. And I'm sure there's gonna be caveats and difficulties and complications to all this. Uh, but it's a, it's a really magical promise and premise that you can just have these finished assets uh, and then just pop them in the game and you don't have to worry about your triangle count. Because that's a lot of um, the expense and time making a game is, is optimizing models 
um, optimizing your generating the assets in the first place is hugely expensive and difficult. Uh, and then optimizing them so that your game still runs in real time. And then maybe you have to do another optimization pass to get it to work on the switch or, you know, turn a bunch of stuff off or whatever. Uh, they're also talking about these eight, um, 8k textures. So like really high resolution texturing, uh, and then the other big tech is is Lumen. So that's their global illumination. So basically it's ray tracing, real-time ray tracing stuff. And that is, uh, I mean, we've been seeing that in the works for a while. Um, as far as I understand, the NVIDIA ray tracing GPUs just weren't that good at ray tracing. And this next generation that we're going get to gonna get is going to be a lot better at ray tracing. So while we didn't see a ton of impact from, you know, obviously not everybody even had one of these ray tracing GPUs to begin with. Well, we didn't see a ton of impact from that. I think uh, it looks like it might just work in this next gen where you just turn on global illumination. And that's another thing that I see as really highly uh, sim simplifying the work that a game developer needs to do because game developers have done a lot of tricks over the world to simulate the look of ray tracing. Like one of the things they'll do is like they'll bake lights. So if you have a game that only each scene is only one time of day, you can bake ray tracing lighting information into the textures at development time and then just ship all of those to the game. Uh, so that, you know, that's slow. Um, it's, you know, that's a common thing like, um, in game development, oh, my light maps are, are, are rendering it's, uh, and, but there's also a lot of other tricks they've used and as many tricks as they've used and techniques that, that they've done to try to make photorealistic games, uh, it still wasn't as good as this global illumination demo that, that, that Epic has that, that looks like a completely pre-rendered scene. Like it looks, uh, I mean, I think they were chose their assets carefully and I don't know if everything will quite look like this, especially the character didn't quite look um, film quality. Um, but most of that game looked like it was just like, Oh yeah, I'm watching a, a uh, like avatar or whatever. I'm watching a movie that was just completely pre-rendered um, except it's a game. So huge advance, I think in graphics, I think we'll see those sorts of games in like 2021, hopefully um, or, or, late 2020 late 2021 early 2022 we'll see um, and so a lot of this is, comes down to you know obviously the the new consoles have a lot more cpu um you know faster uh better gpus um and and then a lot of it seems to come down to i'm guessing especially this nanite stuff um for these these meshes comes out of the storage speed and then you just have a whole different paradigm that you're working from um, and you can just do some some really cool stuff but all that said that's just graphics and what I think of next gen I'm trying I want to I want to progress everything and I think I think the perfect example of this is Minecraft so there's, uh, uh, I'm sure you've seen this as well, uh, a ray tracing version of Minecraft that's, that's gonna be coming out for the new Xbox. Um, 
I guess it's also playable on the PC if you have a right graphics card. I actually need to test that. I really want to check it out. It looks beautiful. It's a beautiful visual effect. Uh, and um, it works on current hardware. And you have, you do really have very simple geometry in Minecraft, right? And very simple textures. Uh, but they've made those textures more complex. They've added, there's this, this new concept called physically based rendering, where you have textures that encode very similar information to what, uh, much more like simulating the real world with the stuff like subsurface scattering. Again, it's all about like, used to have to do a trick to make something that looked like what's real. And now we're much closer to just be able to simulate how light works. And so you get these very beautiful scenes and, and um, uh, if you're having a hard time visualizing global illumination, like a lot of it has to do with the fact that when light bounces, it carries with it color information from what it bounces off of. So um, if, you, if light bounces off a white wall and then it hits a sphere, it's gonna illuminate that sphere with some white light. But if it bounces off a yellow wall, a yellow wall, it's going to illuminate with some yellow light. And that, it, it's just really beautiful. And you can really see that in this Minecraft. But Microsoft has, Microsoft treats Minecraft like Google treats chat products, other than the fact that Microsoft hasn't canceled or renamed Minecraft. Well, they've done a little bit of renaming, actually. They have created a slightly separate divergent versions. <laughs> so, um, Microsoft had, before Fortnite, like the biggest game on the planet. They paid $2 billion to own Minecraft and they've done nothing. Like in the scale of how big important Minecraft is to a whole generation of people, Minecraft, like the, the amount of actual new features that Minecraft has gained since Microsoft owned it, are minuscule. And remember, Minecraft was primarily made by one dude, and then he hired a small team to help him extend it a little bit. Uh, but Minecraft is so interesting, not because of its graphics, obviously, it's because it's a simulation. It simulates like there's animals, and then there's breeding, and you grow food, and the, the um, there's this procedural generation, and there's very weird but slightly functional water physics where water actually flows and redistributes, which is something, a lot of this simulation stuff you really never see in uh, high fidelity graphical games other than just, um, well, there's destruction physics, which is actually another big feature of, of, of Unreal 5. Um, uh, they've already announced some of that stuff for Unreal 4, but they were talking about that in this, this Tomb Raider-ish demo. There's destruction like physics, so like you can blow up an object like an action movie, you know. Uh, but you can't really, be, you know, you can't really build something that's physical. Um, and Minecraft, you know, Minecraft has this classic thing: you build up a pillar of objects, and then you break the object on the bottom, and then the pillar floats, right? Which is great. Like Minecraft has its own kind of brand of physics. They work. It's a very fun game, but. There are so many thing, more things it could be simulating. Uh, it could be simulating ecosystems. It could ha it could give the uh, the villagers like real personalities. Like one of the inspirations for Minecraft originally, and I think about this all the time, 
as like what is my metric of a truly next-gen game is Dwarf Fortress. Dwarf Fortress, when you start up a game, it simulates the like a whole world geologically. Like, okay, rivers are going to flow and volcanoes are going to happen or whatever and mountains will rise. And, and so it creates a terrain through simulation. And then it generates a whole history of that world. And, you know, kingdoms rise and fall and there's tribes and families and heroes and all that sort of stuff. And then you start a game and you just spawn with some dwarven settlers. All of them have randomized and interesting personalities and quirks to them. And if you treat them unkindly or if, or if, or if you know, the environment is unkind to them, you know, some rampaging vi vampire lords or whatever comes to your um, settlement to try to kill you. Uh, you know, like the dwarves will like, uh, like become sad. Maybe one of their loved ones dies. They'll like lock themselves up in a workshop and create works of art. They'll like, like write on the walls. They'll like, um, you know, be mean or nice to each other. Um, they, you know, they'll have pets that they care for and that all, so many of these things are stuff that we never see in the majority of games. And, you know, it, it's very difficult to do, but also Dwarf Fortress is built by, like, two people, basically. And I understand that, like, you want to go with what's safe. You want to make the Avengers of whatever medium you're making, you know? What is the automatic thing that I can just put, you know, Call of Duty 25 out and, you know, get a billion dollars of revenue? But... That you know, I just think there's a lot of interesting stuff that games can do, and it's and I'm especially thinking about this. What is easier to simulate now that we have these faster drives? We've got these better GPUs. Um, you know, like they're simulating flock behavior uh, for like bats and bugs and stuff. Like the bugs scatter from away from your light uh, using really interesting. I think it's GPU accelerated algorithms. But, you know, what if you had a school of fish and Dwarf Fortress? Or what if you have real water physics? Not just for the visual effect, but, you know, um, people have made computers in Dwarf Fortress using the water physics in there. And Dwarf Fortress, if you've never seen it, it's an ASCII game. It looks like it's a DOS game, right? But it, like, maxes out your computer because it will simulate the flow of water and you can have these water gates and stuff. And you can actually make a computer, before there were Minecraft computers, there were Dwarf Fortress computers made with like flowing water and gates that are all rendered in ASCII art. So I just think there's a lot there. Um, I've written a piece about this. I don't know if I ever even published it. I was thinking about this back when the last next gen was coming out and whether we would go in a Dwarf Fortress direction. And I think Minecraft is a perfect example. They'll just add like a new material type once in a, in a while, maybe a new biome, you know, um, but they're not really deepening the simulation aspect. And I think there's so much there to be done. And obviously there's some really cool games that have simulation aspects to them, but I just think there's a lot there. Okay, so let's go back to the more optimistic side of this. Graphics-wise, there's some really cool stuff in, that's happening now. A lot of these games are being made with 
uh, a lot of the assets are being made with photogrammetry where you take a bunch of pictures of an object and either you still model it yourself and then you apply those pictures as textures or you can possibly even automate the modeling from all the pictures you took. Uh, and I think this is going to be a huge driver of, well, one, I think we could end up with kind of a unified aesthetic. If you're, if you're making a realistic game, um, it's just gonna have a look to it. I mean, there, that already kind of exists a little bit, like Unreal Engine games kind of already have a look. And Epic um, uses, has this, um, bought this company, the Quixel, uh, these Quixel mega scans. So this Tomb Raider demo is like 95% cave rocks, right? And those are all based on these Quixel mega scans, um, which is, it's photogrammetry of like natural textures. And really of this one, just pretty much this one texture is this brownish cave rock. And it's, um, and so I could see a lot of games, like if they're going for the, like the Unreal Engine 5 um, photorealistic look, they use Quixel Megascans for all natural objects. And then I'm guessing libraries will be built up of, you know, um, metal and glass and things like that. And you'll just, and, and, and a lot of photorealistic object scans will exist. And, and, and it's something that I hope that you'll be able to do at home with your iPhone or iPad or whatever. You'll like scan an object and now you have a game ready asset because again, you don't have to do these level of detail stuff. You just have to clean it up a little bit in the photogrammetry software. Um, and so I think if assets are easier to create and you have this one, like, one photorealistic aesthetic, there will be other aesthetics that won't benefit from this. But for like photorealistic games, I can imagine it being so easy to make one of these. Um, and so obviously, you know, there's still the gameplay aspect. And so, but it makes me wonder something that's been really fanciful for me, but like, I'd love it if when a game was old, let's say, the sequel is released. They have all the last gen assets and scripts and behaviors and or as much as possible was just like open sourced. And I know this is ridiculous. I'm sounding just kind of dumb and pie in the sky, but I think there's so much that could be done by remixing games. Um, like there's these new skateboarding games coming out and they're really greatly benefiting from a modding community already. And the games aren't even out yet. They're just early access. Um, and now one of them's called session. I forget what the other one's called, but there, but imagine if you also had the call of duty guns in that game and you could like skateboard and also uh, have like a multiplayer shooter where you ride skateboards and then you like, I don't know, you do a kickflip to get some shield back or something. I don't know. I think there's something that would be really cool about games becoming more about remixing pieces of them. And I feel like this is actually starting to happen in sort of siloed worlds. Like, I think um, Epic is kind of, for Fortnite, is kind of turning Fortnite into this reusable toolkit that they can create these experiences out of, you know, have these live concerts, have parties and things like that. Um but you kind of have this world and then within this world, you have all these pieces that are, you can use to make different experiences out of, but it would be cool if that was 
that was somehow cross game. And I don't really have any practical thoughts on how that's possible other than the fact that I, or my assumption that there will be sort of a unifying aesthetic. Everybody's going to start using sort of this high tier photorealistic or a lot of people are going to be using this very similar aesthetic and um, level of detail, right? You can just take this high-end uh, model and plop it into your game. And so I, I would just, it'd be cool if, if, if you started having games that were remixes of, of other games. Um, yeah, I, wanna, I want the skateboard shooter game, basically is what I'm saying. Um, this is a bit of a tangent, but I've, I've been thinking about this for a while uh, in the terms of cheating, right? So most games right now that are multiplayer are, you know, it's a client server, typically. And um, you have, you basically have the server as the central source of truth. And then the clients tell the server what they're doing. Like, I shot this person at this time, or I shot in this direction at this time. And the server, and then the other player that I was shooting at is reporting their location. And the server's like, hmm, you know what? I think that was a headshot. And then it tells us what happened, you know? Um, and so the problem with cheating is that my game client could attempt to learn more about the game than the server wants to show me at that at that given time or um, just help my mouse out and snap to that person's head. So uh, game companies are going to increasingly, it's a real arms race between the cheaters and the game companies. And the game companies are like, like really getting deep into the insides of your PC to try to detect these hackers. And it's, I mean, it feels pretty uncomfortable to me what they're doing. Um, and it doesn't even seem to be working because there's still just a ton of cheaters out there. I actually don't feel like I've had a huge problem with that. Maybe it's just because I'm pretty low tier Overwatch, but I don't feel like anybody's getting like constant headshots on me. Because if they are, they'll probably rank up real quick and <laughs> leave, me, leave me in my bronze uh, swamp. Uh, but, uh, you know, th there's this thought, like, could you have a truly peer-to-peer -peer trustless way of, of making a game where if you didn't have these centralized servers, how could you have truly honest peers or in the sense of like, you know, like Bitcoin, I could run on a Bitcoin node that doesn't abide by the, the, the rules of Bitcoin. You know, I changed the code myself, recompile it and run that node. And now my node uh, is, um, let's all sorts of transactions go through that don't match the Bitcoin consensus. You know, like I just print myself up 10 million Bitcoins and send it to my own address. Like all software wise, that is all completely doable. Right, it's it almost trivial for me to create a, an alternate version of Bitcoin where I have ten million Bitcoins, but I'm now rejected from the Bitcoin consensus network. When I try to send out, "Hey, here's here's me, here's my transaction where I just received ten million Bitcoins," 
every other node, every honest node in the network is going to look at those. And even if they're not honest, they might not be my style of dishonest, you know. They're going to look at those and like, you know, I'm going to look through the history of transactions. I don't see where this 10 million came from. So therefore, you couldn't have received it because it has no origin. Therefore, this is an invalid transaction. I'm going to reject it. I might even like kick you off my peer-to-peer network. So is there something like that for, for games? Um, so I've been thinking about this for a while. The one that seems that comes to mind where this would work is something like chess, which chess has had, you know, you can play chess over email. It's not been a difficult networking protocol for a long time. But chess, you know where all the pieces are. And there are a finite set of legal moves. So horses make the L shape, right? Uh, bishops go diagonal. So if you transmit a move to uh, your opponent, like my pawn's going through your pawn and it's not one of those weird, what is it, on pass or I don't know chess very well. The, the, we basically would fall out of consensus because I would be trying to tell my opponent about a game state that is impossible for his chess client to represent because that move is impossible according to the rules of chess. So is there a game that's more fun than chess? That's uh, more uh, like a little more real time, a little more imprecise, um, you know, a few billion more things happening per second that is uh, possible with that set of um, the rules, like you'd fall out of consensus if you misrepresented your actions uh, or if you tried to represent illegal actions. Because what's interesting to me about that is that if you could do that, which, you know, that that simple thing, <laughs> that, that might be literally mathematically impossible. I don't even know. But if you could do something like that, and then you could run all the cheats you wanted. All that matters is that to keep to stay in the game, a multiplayer game where you're you're abiding by a shared set of rules, to stay in that game, you would um, have to broadcast legal moves. And so if you're running a wall hack and like um, what's it called when it snaps to do the headshots, you know, an auto aimer or whatever, go for it. And I would like a game that everybody was running all sorts of cheats. Like, in fact, a lot of in Overwatch, that's my big reference lately, you know, like soldiers, um, Ultimate is an aim hack, you know? Um, Widow, um, Widowmaker's, the sniper's ultimate is a wall hack that shows where the enemy team is behind walls and stuff. Uh, so there are definitely things that are fun to play. It's just not fun when it's not fair. Um, so I would love a game that had some sort of arms race of client-side cheating, but some way of enforcing... Um, limits on what you do. And one way I was thinking about this recently is that you could sort of have the the limits be physics somehow. And this goes into the whole thing of, it turns out multiplayer physics are a really hard problem 
because to do detailed, heavy physics simulation, you want to use the GPU. But the GPU has an imprecision to it so that what physics look like on your machine uh, might be calculated slightly differently. Just, just a tiny little bit at first, but that can cascade you know, butterfly effect style into wildly different outcomes on someone else's machine. Um, even if you're running the same model of GPU, I think that's possible. So you need really precise and um, reconcilable, um, deterministic is the word I'm looking for. You need deterministic physics. Uh, but then you could have something where like the rules of the game are that my character can exert this much force, you know, in this direction, this much force in this direction and can apply, you know, I don't know. This isn't fully fleshed out, but there's something to that where I can tell that the player is not cheating because I can always check if there are, if the physics that they're saying, they're saying that they're trying to propel themselves forward, but I'm like, well, you're in the, you're floating, flying in the air. What are you pushing off of? You know? So I reject that. Um, and now you're out of consensus. Now you don't get to play the game with the, with, with, um, your opponents anymore because you, you tried to cheat because you represented something that was impossible. I think there's something to that. Um, sounds super difficult, but I mean, isn't that the whole point? I mean, isn't Lumen very difficult and Nanite very difficult? Like I, I, I hope people are working on these, these very hard problems of, of multiplayer, um, Another really hard problem, and I think this kind of relates to this peer-to-peer -peer aspect, is single shard universes. And this is something I've been obsessed with for a long time because EVE Online is the coolest thing. And it generates these really amazing stories because it's a single universe. And so, you know, you can have a player corporation in EVE Online. EVE Online is like a space game and there's, you know, stars and planets and space stations and spaceships. And you typically join a corporation and maybe that corporation is part of a um, mega corporation, like, you know, there's multi-tiered um, alliances and whatever. Um, and, you know, somebody says, like, we're going to go invade that star system. And that is not just on your single instance of Eve, where you and your, you know, like, 999 other people play and there's a cap at a thousand but that is in the singular eve universe i actually think there might be a fork of eve in china i'm not actually sure about that um but for the most part you know everybody's just playing in this one shared universe and so things that happen in eve really have this feeling of matter of, of mattering and of, of history to them um, because you are, you're, you are, you're, you know, a, a big battle in Eve is part of the shared history going forward for the rest of time, you know, that changed the balance in this um, area of space. So I think it's really interesting. It's technically very hard to do. One of the ways that Eve optimizes this is that per um, you kind of, do warp jumps from star to star, right? Star system to star system. And when you land in a new place, you're kind of in a new instance. And I think they even have detailed versions of this. There's just something about space, like think about the empty space between two ships is sort of uh, compressible information because it's just a vacuum. Um, 
and and they have a lot of ways where the gameplay is actually sort of simplistic or it's not simplistic that's not the right word for it but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a modern shooter it doesn't feel like there's a lot of physics going on um it's more of a a lot of times it's referred to as like an excel spreadsheet simulator you know you're like you're you're keeping your shields up and you're recharging your weapon and then you know you're you 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 fire something that deletes you know five HP off of someone else's Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> um, so it doesn't feel super like next gen of a game in that sense, but it is incredibly rare and special as a single shard. Um, the other big example of this that I'm aware of, of someone who's trying to do it is a, a game called Dual Universe, which is I think some, somewhere in alpha right now, and it's a little more. Um, kind of like more like Star Citizen where, you know, an EVE Online, you can't get out on the planet. Um, but in Dual Universe, you have like, you know, Minecraft building capabilities and you can build your own ship out of parts and you can script your own ship and you can script a puzzle room and, you know, you have a ton of power and flexibility. It seems very next-gen to me. It also seems ridiculously ambitious and... I, it's one of those ones where you want to root for them so hard, but you have no idea if they're really going to be able to pull it off. Um, and I know they've tried to show that, you know, like, hey, we had like a thousand people or whatever on a planet all at once and it seemed fine. Um, but um, I really want to see it go live. And uh, But I can imagine myself spending a lot of time in a game like that. Um, and... So that kind of gets to the idea of like, when you have a single universe, like, could you have a metaverse? Like, could you link universes, but have something that's meaningful be communicated across them? So, you know, if I unlock the sickest skins in Fortnite, it has no bearing on my character in Overwatch, you know? And that's fine, probably, because they're totally different aesthetics. But I could imagine, and I would love a gaming world where things are somehow a little more interconnected um, and you can bring things from one world into another. And um, obviously that's really vague, but it's very interesting to me. Um, and a lot of this comes down to like the scarcity of digital assets. Um, one, a book that I highly recommend, it's it seems ridiculously long, and I don't know that it had to be that long, but I really enjoy Neil Stevenson. So in a sense, every extra page he wants to give me, it's kind of a gift, you know? Um, although I didn't really like his uh, latest book uh, for whatever reason. Um, it's weird. I thought I would like it more. Um, I liked it at the start. But Remedy is really interesting. This guy creates an MMO, and it has a real economy to it. Uh, because they like simulated like the ge geological uh, history and they have like ore deposits and like they have literal Chinese gold farmers in that game. And a lot of what we have right now, we now we have gold farmers in like games like WoW or um, Path of Exile. Um, people who will level up account for you or get you gold and you just pay them with real money. Um, but the other kind of more interesting to me version of um, digital scarcity is like 
hats in Team Fortress and um, knives in Counter-Strike and stuff of gun skins where they're digital assets that are created often by the community and sold to the community and have a certain rarity to them is very interesting. And it basically, that's very hard to do without a central entity governing the game, like a Valve or whatever. Um, and there's something interesting about Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is like, it's kind of a, one, a one-off. You kind of only get one thing that has absolute provable digital scarcity because the way it secures the network is through, you know, through mining power, exahash of, of SHA-256 computation. And so if you created something that was truly valuable and scarce in, you know, your skateboard shooter game, and that was secured, the, the digital scarcity was secured in some decentralized manner, like how, uh, like how Bitcoin is secured. Um, if that thing became truly valuable, um, you know, someone could easily just swap over some hashing power from the Bitcoin network and steal that, you know, like the break, break your method of decentralized security. Um, uh, there's just something about this proof of work al algorithm that just seems like there can only be one true um, beneficiary um, of it. And so, I, you know, I'm not uh, like 100% sure on that, but that's, that's the vibe I get. So I don't, I don't see a good way to, but I really like the idea of having scarce digital assets um, and, and people selling digital assets and digital assets hopefully becoming somehow portable um, because I just think that's really that that kind of self-expression, that kind of that business model um, is really interesting. Um, they're also, you know, introducing real money into games is very interesting. Uh, they were talking about this on a recent episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Matt O'Dell, who's, who's uh, a guest on this podcast, said, the dream is I want a 12-year-old camper from Thailand to help pay for his family's food by killing me in an online game and my slow reflexes. Uh, and I love that. Um, th there's something about, and this gets back to the cheating and stuff. There's something in typically in games, paying money for things, paying real money for things is either the b game's business model, right? So it's not peer to peer. It's only paying the company. Um, or it's banned or both, right? So like if I pay Blizzard money to have a rare mount in WoW, that's their business model. If I play another player, real US dollars, to get some gold, some, some of the virtual WoW currency that's usable in game, I get banned if, if Blizzard finds out about it. That's... Um, I think it might even be illegal. I don't know, but it's definitely against terms of service. And uh, but games that involve money, like I mean, poker. I don't know how many people have experienced this, but if you play money, real money poker, it doesn't have to be high stakes. It's just a few dollars, you know. And if you win, you've got like uh, like uh, like a couple of uh, beers worth of money. And if you lose, you're only out like five dollars or whatever, you know. Like it's really. Uh, um, a, a minor outlay and a minor reward, 
but there's just something about it that really heightens the enjoyment of the game. So I think it could be interesting. It's really hard to tell which games would most benefit from involving real money. Um, and obviously, like shooter games aren't going to go very well if, because if there's real right now as architected, because if there's real money involved, um, people are going to load up all the cheats they can and get as much money as they can. It seems like a, a nightmare to regulate. Um, but if some of these fanciful um, uh, anti-cheat methods or peer-to-peer -peer gaming methods can can evolve. There's like real protocol for gaming. I don't know. I think there could be something interesting there. Uh, and there's also the, the idea that um, with digital scarcity, that people will still choose things to be scarce because it's fun. So like Minecraft, you're always, you know, 30 seconds away from enabling cheats in a world. And then you can just do whatever you want. You could give yourself everything, but you'll spend hours mining for diamonds, right? So there's something that's really interesting about that. Um, like in multiplayer, often people will cheat to get the scarce thing. And I'm sure people obviously cheat themselves a few diamonds here or there when nobody's looking. And who's to judge, right? You know, you when you're playing single player, you just want to maximize your own kind of fun. But a lot of people play Minecraft single player uh, without cheating. And I think that there's something really interesting. I don't understand that. Um, I don't, I do, I do that as well, but I don't know that I could explain why. <laughs> um, and so that gets to my final point. Uh, what, what is the point of video games? And I would say that I've wasted, like a lot of my time playing video games has actually been a waste of time. I think I could have done a lot better things with my time. Uh, I could have been earning money to buy more Bitcoin I could have been teaching myself to code. Uh, I could have, you know, it's easy. Like even when I was teaching myself to code, there'd be times when maybe I'd get a little frustrated and instead of pressing through to fix that issue that I was having, I just like, ah, I'll just go play video games, you know? And then maybe I'd be a little testy and I'd, I'd you know, rage quit after, after a couple losses or whatever. So I think there's a lot of time that I've spent on video games that I wish... I had back that I regret spending on video games. That said, there's a lot of uh, time I've spent on video games. I've just had a, a blast and it's been wonderful and it's a great way to unwind. And it's I, the thing that I, I find the most cool about it is that it is, um, it's a way of being present with other people. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not huge on like board games and, um, you know, trivial pursuit and, um, Pictionary and that kind of thing, you know, but being with your close friends in a video game together um, and, and tackling a mission together in, in some sense is really fun. So I, I like that social aspect. Um, there's other things that stand out to me, like Factorio has been a huge one for me. I think Factorio is really interesting because it's, I don't know if it, you could say it helps the programmer brain. But it's very appealing to the brain of a programmer because it's these systems that you're always trying to fix and up optimize and refine, and um, and you kind of you keep on being stymied by the complexity of the system that you've made. So you have to find a way to simulate it, um, simplify it, and, and and streamline it so that you can keep on growing your factory. I think that's really interesting. I always wonder, and this is kind of touched on on ReamD, but like. 
are there real world processes that could be gamified and and people would p- play them for free or they get paid to play them because they enjoy optimizing a factory in Factorio, but somehow that work translates to optimizing a real life factory. I, 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 I think I'm pessimistic on that, but I so, 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 so want to be wrong because it would be so cool. Like if you see the passion that people put into optimizing their games and like sharing blueprints of factories um, or like Path of Exile is, a, is another game. Uh, it's really, it's kind of like a Diablo type game and it's free to play and people people make tools for it to like check the auction house. Like they're not against the terms of service. They're making useful tools for each other to, to optimize their, their, their playing of this game. And then, you know, I think there's something really cool to, and then people share builds. Like here's how I progressed this character through this crazy complicated skill tree on the gear I chose for them. There's tons of, this sharing, and you know, that also happens in the you know, professional world. Like I watch a lot of free YouTube content about how to program this or that, you know. Um, I also watch a lot of paid content like on Udemy and whatever. But I think there's something cool to the passion that people put into optimizing their way of playing the game and then sharing that with other people. That would be, I just, I sometimes wonder if there's anything available to the real world, quote unquote, um, where we could find things that are inefficient that people would optimize because that's what gives them joy. Um, I've written about this a long time ago, but, you know, I, StarCraft was cool for me because I really felt like it It was a, it was like brain training. You're, it's a crazy amount of multitasking in real time and trying to See, you know, like that thing where you can only hold like five threads in your head at once. And so when you think about a new thing, you have to drop one of them or you have to find a way to make it a subcategory of one of the threads so you can hold on to it or whatever. StarCraft is like tread training, uh, tread training. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Thread training. And uh, I really loved it for that. Um, uh, Overwatch is just hanging out with friends and getting mad at people who are, are you know, getting mad at the DPS for not killing anybody. Um, and then Minecraft, I'll end on Minecraft. Minecraft is so special to me. I think there's something about Minecraft. This is actually, it's a biblical thing, right? So uh, Adam and Eve are given this directive to, you know, they're supposed to name the animals uh, is one job that they have. And then they're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. And so I just think there's something about when you see when you spawn into a Minecraft world, right? It's all been procedurally generated, but it, it's it's in a sense very untamed. And you go into that world, and you're like, you know, I wish this wasn't a hill, because I'd have a better view of the lake. I'm gonna flatten this hill, you know. And now I'm gonna build a cabin here, or I'm gonna, you know, go into a mine and get resources so that I'm stronger and and and, and more adept in this world. I think there's something to that that is one of the reasons why it has been so appealing to so many people because there's something about engaging with a world and having the ability to reshape it. Um, it's so empowering, and I think it's kind of an innate, an innate desire that we have. I also have this idea that I would love to 
take the Grand Canyon or at least portion of it and open it up for development so that people could make like skyscrapers that are kind of embedded into the canyon walls. I just think that'd be very beautiful. I really like sci-fi pictures that take like really extreme landscapes and integrate cities into them. That's just kind of a side note. I think that's inspired by Minecraft, but um, I know that seems very anti-conservation of conservationist of me, but I just, I think there's something interesting about going into a wild untamed uh, land and you don't necessarily destroy it because you, there's something about, about it you find beautiful, but you want to integrate with it and you want to keep the bugs out. And you know, like you, you want to have a certain amount of control over your environment, how while also somehow existing in harmony with it. And so I think Minecraft really maximizes that feeling. Um, so yeah, so that's a uh, video games. Next-gen video games, gonna look great. Uh, high resolutions, 4K, 8K game, we'll see about 8K. I'm, I'm, so I'm so suspect about 8K. What is the point? Who will really notice? Who knows? But maybe I'm totally wrong on that. Um, spatialized audio, uh, global illumination all over the place, photorealistic textures, one triangle per pixel. It's going to be so amazing. I just hope that there's also uh, other advances where the, the, the state of the art gaming can progress uh, in ways that make games more meaningful and useful and um, uh, worthy of our time, I guess. So that's what I'm thinking about today in, in between thinking about how sad it is, how many people have lost their jobs. So, yeah, uh, if you want to support this podcast, you can go to paul.lol. Um, if you haven't already subscribed, subscribe to the newsletter. I'm using MailChimp. Just this is a little inside baseball. I'm using MailChimp. It is very, it's very, I've, I've got a lot of subscribers now. It was huge thanks to you for subscribing, but it, it turns out like, like MailChimp is not cheap. Um, so anyways, you can support me if you head over to paul.ll, there's a pay button. And you can like uh, subscribe to Patreon. You can buy an ad that I'll I'll read on this show. It, it has to, it, It's a fake ad, but you can choose a real product, right? Um, but the ad will be fake. The, the Bitcoin that it costs is real. The ad is fake. The prompt that you provide me of the ad I will create, the fake ad, could be whatever you want. So yeah, please uh, support me, subscribe, retweet, like, favorite. Uh, I I still don't know what's going on with iTunes. We'll see what happens with that. I tried to resubmit. It wouldn't let me. So who knows when you'll actually be able to subscribe on the number one podcasting app. But I'm really grateful for everybody who's listening and responding on Twitter and hitting up my email and DMs. And um, uh, I just look forward to keep on doing this. And I'll have an interview uh, next week. Thanks for listening. Paul.